This morning we're going to continue our study in 1 John. We're going to be in 1 John uh, verses 5 through 10 this morning. We're likely uh, to find our way to uh, Romans chapter 2 for a verse or two. Uh, uh, Romans chapter 3, we've, we've, we've got to go there. And Romans chapter 6. And so if you're looking at your Bible and you want to find your way around, uh, start out in 1 John with me. And, and when, we, when we drill down on 1 John 5 through 10, what we're going to find is we're going to look at three primary things. We're going to look at historical context in the sense of, of the things that John was, was doing uh, or speaking to. And you could kind of summarize that first little point that we're going to make uh, by this little phrase if you're looking at your notes. If we say, and John structures this so beautifully in, in verse 6, in verse 8, in verse 10, what you see is he begins with this phrase, if we say. And it's his way of highlighting uh, the false teachers of his day and, and, and the doctrine that they were trying to put forth and how that doctrine Remove them from fellowship with God. And then we'll look at three instances where, where J- John helps us understand what brings forth uh, fellowship with God. And we're going to look at 7a and 7b and, and verse 9 about what brings forth fellowship with God. And then we'll end up perhaps with those texts in Romans and, uh, and try to uh, bring some application uh, to us today. And so let's pray as we begin our study today. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. It just transforms our life. It brings joy to us to come closer to you and closer uh, to those that we love. And so, Lord, we pray, Lord, that that you would really speak to our heart uh, through the word of God this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so come with me to 1 John. And uh, we're going to take this as is our practice. We'll take our teaching uh, verse by verse. It's, it's, uh, it, it's easy to stay on cue when you're, uh, when you're doing a study uh, verse by verse. And so John writes this, 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse 5. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so what John is doing is he's going all the way back to uh, Exodus where, where the Lord revealed himself. And all throughout the scripture, the Lord uses this, uh, th- this light in just an ordinary means of declaring who he is. Now, throughout scripture, if you take a look at your notes, you're going to see a, a, a bunch of text references. It's really a metaphor to describe the purity and holiness, uh, really the transcendence of God. And so John establishes this truth that, that God is pure, he's holy, he's righteous, um, and, and in him is, is no shadow of darkness. Matter of fact, the psalmist writes in Psalm 27.1, the psalmist writes, the Lord is my, my light and, and my salvation. And so light expresses really God's purity and holiness, but also God's ability to woo and to draw the believer to, to really walk in his ways. Now, we have a, certainly a, 
a part to play in that, but God, by the work of his Holy Spirit, makes that, makes that work possible as he shows us the way, as he shines his light in our heart, as he shines his light on the path of, of our life, and we learn to, to see that, trust that, and walk in that, and lean not under our own lean not to our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge him. And so John establishes this, this biblical theme that goes all the way from Old Testament to even Jesus, that he's the light of the world. And, and John just establishes once again the foundation that of the preexistence uh, of, of God and Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. And then he addresses the false teachers of his days. Uh, he begins to, begins to kind of identify uh, what those things are in verse 6, in verse 8, in verse 10. And so we see the first one in verse 6. If we say, and so these were the false teachers of the day. They thought that they were exceptionally spiritual, <laughs> Uh, and John is going to expose their false spirituality. And that exists today in, in a lot of different formats. People feel like they're, that they're uh, more spiritual than other people. And that usually comes with some significant baggage. Uh, and that baggage is pridefulness. That baggage often leads to being untethered from the Word of God because they see themselves as an authority unto themselves. And, and they don't walk in the Word, and they don't walk in the light, as John says. And so the first one in verse 6, John says this. He says that if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And so what John does is, is to say this, that that if you're walking with Jesus Christ, then you're going to, your life is going to be transformed and you're going to do the things Jesus do, did. You're going to have the attitude, Philippians chapter 2, that same attitude that was in Jesus Christ, uh, we're going to have in our own heart and, and in our own life. And so it's not really so much, in John's book, it's not really so much what you say, although that's important, it's really it's really what is your behavior and what are you growing into? Are you growing more into yourself and in a sinful lifestyle? In other words, are you walking in darkness? Are you making choices to grow in, in Christ-likeness? And so John identifies that false teaching. If we say we have fellowship while we walk in darkness, we lie and we don't practice the truth. Jesus' great words that if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And so to follow after Christ is to follow in Christ's footsteps. He, as Peter says, he is our example. In the next verse, verse 7, first part of 7a and second part 7b, John tells us, well, what does it look like to have fellowship with God? So come there with me first part of seven, but if we walk in the light, he is in the light, and we have fellowship with one another. In other words, to walk is a metaphor. It's a, it's a metaphor about walking in the ways of Jesus Christ. We can see that if you come with me uh, to Ephesians, uh, 
Ephesians chapter 4, if you would, for a minute, and we see how Paul unpackages that, that metaphor for us so that we can understand um, what it looks like to be a real disciple of Jesus Christ and to, be, and to be in fellowship with him. And so we come to Ephesians chapter 4, and we could look at verse 17. Now, in my Bible, it has this little caption above verse 17, and it's not inspired. It just helps you to know what the paragraph breakdowns are like. It talks about the new life, the new life that we have in Christ. And it goes, now, uh, Paul writes this, Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer look at the metaphor here. We must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to, to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way. You learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and you were taught in him, and as the truth is in Jesus, and here it is in verse 22. Here's how we maintain fellowship with Jesus, which is directly opposite of what the false teachers were doing. Verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires, and to be renewed by the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self. And so fellowship with God, to maintain that fellowship, is, is that we receive the gift of salvation, but we also have to appropriate that gift. And we appropriate that gift by putting off those things that are contrary to the Lord's word, darkness, and to put on the things of purity and holiness and, and seeking after the God through his word and through prayer. And as we put off and we put on, we're in pursuit of having fellowship with Jesus. It's an action on our part. Now, last week we talked about joy. And I said this last week, I said, you have to fight for joy. And this is, this is the dynamic applied to joy, is that we, we put off the things that discourage us. We put off of our lack of trust in God. We put off of our doubt, and we put on a confidence in God. We put on a confidence and trust in His promises. And, we, and, and when, when, when our inner world and emotions are here and there and everywhere, we're fighting for joy. We're fighting to approach Christ. We're fighting for those good things. Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 6, we pointed that out last week. And so a true Christian is one that is walking, and that walking is, is described as putting off the old man and putting on the new man. And so if you've got, we all, every single one of us has dispositions in our in our flesh, that if we choose to sit in them and dwell in them, it, it just doesn't produce any good. And so, so guys, if you have a disposition towards pornography, those are the things to put off. Those are the things to not make yourself accessible to those things. That's the way to have accountability. That's the way to, that when it's time to go to bed at 10 o'clock at night, you go to bed with your wife. You don't hang out and and, and feed that old man. You put that off. You put that off. Now, I could pick on the ladies, but I'm not a woman, so and I'm not going to do that because I'm just not going to do it. It's not a safe thing for a guy to do. But ladies, you got your own Bible studies, and you, you ladies can speak to yourself and 
I'll stay out of trouble, and Pastor Ed will go home to a happy wife and a happy life. So, amen. I'm going to move on. There we go. So, next verse. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So, the, what we celebrated on the Lord's table is, is that it's the, it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin. And note that sin here is in the singular. And what it really points to is that penal substitutionary atonement that happened on the cross for all sin, past, present, and future, that Adam being our federal head, that Jesus came and, and cleanses us, and, and, we, and, and Jesus is the second Adam, and, and he, is our, he is our head now, and he cleanses us from, from, from all sin, that, that fallen nature, that following character. He redeems us from that. And we can see that in uh, Romans chapter 6, 10 and Hebrews 7 and Hebrews uh, chapter 10. So the second one, uh, the second if we say comes along in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So once again, John goes back to describing those that do not have fellowship with God. And so when you deny sin, what you're doing, what you're doing is you're denying the fact that you needed a Savior. And that's what these false teachers are doing. When, and we see that in our own day. When religious people, we deal with religious people that are all puffed up in their religion, is a, so they don't see any need for Jesus because they see that, well, I'm a good person. And th- this is the this is the dilemma that the that the false teachers were in. And so John gives us this amazing uh, promise that once again he's highlighting in verse six, eight, and ten those things that that demonstrate not having fellowship with God. And then in the in the other verses that complement or just precede them, he says this is what real fellowship with God it looks like. And it says this, if we confess our sins, plural here, not singular in before, but plural, because it points to that we're, we're, all, we're all imperfect. All we like sheep have gone astray. That, we're, that this side of heaven, God is working in our lives. And so, you know, if you're there this morning and you're saying, you know, oh, I'm, 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 I've got sin in my life. Well, you do. <laughs> And what the Lord would say to you this morning is that you do have sin in your life, but he's provided a remedy for that sin. Look at the text with me. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Like I said at the beginning, we, we're really going to have to turn to Romans to unpackage this to any fair degree. Um, and if, and if you wanted to do a study in Romans, I think it's a little late now, but the Albigene's home group up in Nashua, they've been on Romans, I think, for like six years, seven years. I, I don't think he knows any, I don't th- think Ernie knows, he doesn't have any other commentaries except Romans. So, but he's been on, but Romans is so deep and you can't cover, well, he's just and he justifies. Come with me to Romans chapter three. It's just one of the most, one of the most beautiful um, portions of of all scripture that unpackages that God is just. There had to be a penalty for sin. And that penalty was taken by his son, Jesus Christ. So why? 
so that he could justify, pronounce not guilty, those that put their trust and faith in him. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. In other words, he couldn't earn it. The law was our schoolmaster. It showed, the, law, the law tells us what sin looks like. And he says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. Verse 23, I know this so well. For all have sinned. <laughs> yeah, Conway's a sinner. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace, not by works. You can't get there. I remember I grew up going to confession. And I, it, the, going to confession is a good thing. I'm not knocking confession. But, but, but there, when I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I confessed my sins to him, for the first time in my life, I knew I was forgiven, and I was set free, and I was a child of God. You know, if you're struggling with sin in your life, God's provided a remedy. It's Jesus Christ. You just got to go to him and confess your sin, and, and he's going to forgive you your sins. Look at, come back to Romans chapter 3 with me. All have fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. We'll get to that word next week. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. And this is the gospel, that he's just. There had to be a penalty of sin. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, perfect man, perfect God, to take on, to be our sin bearer. And that when we put our faith and trust in him, it affirms the justice and holiness of God. And we receive we receive justification, which is simply this. You're not guilty, not based upon works, but based upon grace and what Jesus did. Before we go away from Romans 3, look at Romans chapter 2 for a minute. In verse 4, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? That's it. God is kind and gracious and knew we could not bear the penalty for our own sin. Because of his justice, he sent his son so that those that put their faith in him could receive forgiveness and be pronounced not guilty. Last verse, verse 10, John goes right after them. God, John goes right after them. If, if we say, which is the third one, uh, the third kind of uh, verse that John says, this diminishes fellowship. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not a... That is a stinging rebuke to these false teachers. He doubles down. Because when we say we don't have sin, and we say we don't need Jesus, what we're doing is we're, we're denying, we're denying the word of God and the truth of God's word. The last little part is in your notes. It's, it's about how do we process through this in, in a very real way. And what I would say is take a, look at, take a look at these notes, but there's a five-little-step process. You know, I, 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 like I said, I'm an ordinary guy. I need, some, I need some hooks to put these things in. 
And so how do you operationalize um, asking God for forgiveness? I, I, I do it like this. The first step is, Jesus, I choose as an act of my will to forgive so-and-so. Or, Father, I ask that you would forgive me from holding unforgiveness. Or, Father, would you forgive me of my sin? And it's, and it's just as simple as that. It's, Lord, I have sinned. Would, would, forgive me, Lord. And, you know, I've been walking with the Lord uh, a long time. And, and from time to time, I sin. And every time I, I sin, I, I, I sense the wooing of the, the Holy Spirit in my heart to come to Christ. Because I, I don't have to fear him. I, don't, I, I just need to let his grace produce it, what he wants to do in my heart and my life. And if that's you this morning, don't be shamed. And don't let false guilt keep you from receiving the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in your life. All of us have gone astray. We're just like sheep. But God's provided a remedy for those sins, and it's his son, Jesus Christ. And if we'll go to him, here's the promise. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins. You know, if we can be a help to you, if you're, if you're in that place and you're spiritually stuck, reach out to us. Let us pray for you. And let us see Jesus work a great victory in your heart and in your life. We're going to ask Natasha to come and close. And if you've got a question or two, um, you know, reach out to us on our media. My phone's not working, as you know. So uh, uh, some would say, praise the Lord. But no. Uh, but if you reach out to us on our media, we'll give it a shot this morning. God bless you. Thanks for joining with us uh, this morning. Natasha's going to come.